We continue to work through the gospel according to St. Luke. Today we're in chapter 19, beginning with the first verse. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the word of life. Has your encounter with Jesus made you a giver? Here we come to this Commitment Sunday, as I'm calling it. I've been asking you for the last few weeks to be thinking about giving and the way God is calling you to respond in terms of your resources and what God might be wanting you to do in terms of your response here at the church. It's an opportunity to evaluate how am I doing in my faith? How am I growing as a disciple? What does my discipleship have to do with my giving and my money, my wealth, and my resources? It's an opportunity to pray about all of that, and hopefully you've had opportunity to do so and listen for what God might be saying to you in this matter. Zacchaeus, we hear about in our story from Luke today. Apparently, he's been evaluating some of those things, and he has this encounter with Jesus, and it changes his life. He becomes really clear about what he's going to do in terms of his resources and his giving, and apparently, he is very excited about it. But many of us are still a battleground. Internally, we struggle with how much we're going to give. Whether or not 10% is really the right thing to do, whether or not we can afford it, whether or not we want to do it, what will happen to us if we decide, or if we've been at that level for a while, did God call us to take even another step in the direction of giving? We live in a culture that tells us it's really better to get than to give. We're bombarded with messages about having things, collecting possessions, that our self-worth and and who we are in society and our identity has to do with what we wear, what we drive, what kind of house we live in with things, with possessions. Is it really better to give than to receive? It can be so very confusing that internally we struggle when we come to this time of year where we're called on to ponder anew how is God at work in our lives. The consumer lifestyle teaches us that it is better to get. The Christ style teaches us that it is better to give. It was a Thanksgiving night. Late in the evening, Mary, my wife, and I had been at relatives' house all day long. 
we came back in, drove into our garage, garage door goes down, we walk in through the laundry room, into the kitchen. This is so many years ago, there's still an answering machine, if you remember those. A couple of messages there, we push the button to begin to listen. I walk around the corner into this living room of ours, and someone has taken the television and put it on the floor, and the stereo, you remember stereos? We had a stereo, we'd put... And I said to Mary, are you dusting the entertainment center? She said, no, why? And it dawned on me. We were being robbed. Someone had been in our home. They had taken those off the shelves. They had unplugged everything. They were getting ready to go out the back door when we came in. And then I had a second thought. What if they're still here? They might still be here. And all of a sudden, I had a visceral experience like never before. I mean, my adrenaline just exploded within me. I was covered with rage. If somebody was in my house, I was going to hurt somebody. I was going to do some bodily harm. And I began to motion to Mary, shh, somebody's here. We're being robbed. I'm going. And she's going, no. <laughs> she's waving, come back. Internally, I can hear her saying, you idiot, come back. I identify a rain stick as a good weapon. I grab it to go down the hall. And then it dawns on me, wait. They, they, there might be more than one. Perhaps me and the rain stick shouldn't become crime fighters quite so quickly. <laughs> I begin to back up toward Mary. She's already got the phone. She's dialing 911. She hands me the phone. We go into the garage. We're whispering, someone's robbing us. And you know what they said? Leave your house immediately. They said the same thing Mary did. Get out of there. Get in your car. Back out. Wait in the street for the police. So we did. We backed out. The police were there like that. It was kind of startling. As soon as they realized who we were and that we were safe, they pulled their weapons to go into our house. They searched the house, came back out. Robbers were gone. We had been robbed. We lost some jewelry. We lost a little bit of money that was in the bedroom. Just a few small things. But if you've ever been robbed, you know how violated you feel. It feels so terrible that someone has broken into your space and messed with your things. Kind of compromised your security and your safety. But I began to reflect upon what was that response I mean, I had read psychology about fight or flight. I think I was usually a flight guy. But that night, I was a fight guy. If there was somebody in my house, I was going to hurt them. And then I began to think, is that a wise response? Is that a wise risk? Is it important to risk life and limb for some electronics? A few pieces of jewelry and a little bit of money? It was a real time for me to think about my priorities in life. And I knew what they were as soon as I thought about it. It wasn't the stuff. It was my relationships. As long as Mary and I were fine, if we lost some stuff, if we lost everything, we would have been all right. It was a poignant reminder about the role of possessions and the priorities of my life. It just, stuff wasn't that important. Possessions can come and go. But it made me realize I was still a battleground. 
I still had some internal struggles about that that erupted that night. It's kind of interesting to me. We only became tithers after that experience. I told you last week we got to that place where we said we want to do better. We want to be better. We want to cultivate generosity in our lives. We're going to take this step in faith and trust that God will help us in this. And of course, God did. Zacchaeus has this encounter that Luke tells us about in this 19th chapter. He's interested in this Jesus fellow. He makes special effort to get where he can see him, where he can hear him, where he can learn more about him. And Luke tells us that he, in fact, does encounter Jesus, and it changes his life. It changes his life when he encounters Jesus. He moves from one who was a taker. I mean, it says he was a tax collector, a chief tax collector. He was one who took money and that he was rich. The implication is that some of that wealth is ill-gotten. There's all kinds of reports that tax collectors did abuse their power, that they collected unfairly. So he had been a taker. He had been one who collected. And now he was going to be a giver. I mean, he's moving to the giving side. He is changing his ways. He is making some new decisions as he encounters Jesus in our story today. Let me tell you how this happened for some folks I worked with years ago. I told you last week that when I went to the First United Methodist Church in Enid, Oklahoma, they were in trouble financially. They hadn't handled their finances very well. It was late in the year. They were way behind. Well, I began to ask about missions about that same time. How are we doing with missions? Who are we sending into the mission field? And most people said, I don't think we do that here. I finally found two or three people who said, I've gone on a volunteering mission trip, but I can't get anybody to go with me. They were discouraged. I said, let's try again. So about five of us gathered and planned a trip to go to Mexico. We thought we might be able to go to one of our United Methodist mission sites we could build some houses we had some doctors and dentists we had an optometrist we thought we could do a medical mission as well we talked about how many should we plan for some said oh maybe eight or ten some said oh i think we may get as many as 20 none of us thought we would get 50 but you know what when we put the call out to the congregation 50 people signed up 50 people said, I'll take a few hundred dollars cash out of my pocket. I'll take a week out of my life and I'll go serve someplace else. I'll go to serve and help somebody else. 50 folks, I'm telling you, were moving over to the giving side. They were ready to make a difference because they had had an encounter with Jesus and they wanted to act upon it. They wanted to take what they had and share it with somebody else. But it was not only those 50 who signed up. A number of others wanted to go. They just couldn't go the week we had planned. They would go on future trips. They said, can I make a donation? And they did. Others who were physically were not able to go said, I'll contribute too. We want to make sure you have enough money for supplies. You have enough money for the medicines that you will be able to distribute. And that whole church took on a, a different feeling. The Spirit was moving among us, I think. It was moving people from consumerism and collecting to those who wanted to give something away to someone else. There's a strange paradoxical experience that occurs in such circumstances. 
where people make sacrifices to give to others. If you've ever been on a mission trip or talk with someone, when they come back, they almost always say something like this, you know, I went wanting to bless someone else, but I'm the one who got the biggest blessing. I went to help someone else, but I think God did more in me than we did for them. Oh, some talk about it as a person they met and how special that relationship was or a family they worked with and how wonderful it was to contribute to their welfare and give them some hope. Others just talk about the whole experience of being outside of our comfort zone, being in a different culture, dealing with a different language. And somehow in the midst of all of that, God speaks to them in ways that are deeper and more profound than they've experienced before. They come back, I'm telling you, one after the other saying, I'm the one who received the blessing. Oh, I went to serve, but I'm the one who received the blessing. I'm the one who got the most out of this. When you move to the giving side, a paradoxical thing happens in terms of giving and receiving and blessings. All of it, I have come to believe, is the work of God's Holy Spirit in us and among us when we open ourselves to sharing what we have with someone else. When we step out and say, I'm going to serve in the name of Christ, I may not get anything back. I'm serving without expectation of receiving something. And yet when we open ourselves like that, God does something special within us and it turns things around in our lives. Every time, I tell you, Every time I go into mission setting like that, I come home thinking, I want more of this. I've got to change my lifestyle to make more time for this. I want to be a part of that even more. That's sort of where Zacchaeus was. He's thinking, I want more. I've apparently heard of, he's apparently heard about Jesus. He wants to see more. He climbs up in the tree. He's looking. He's waiting to see what happens. Luke tells us, in verse 5, what happens when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. He moves into Zacchaeus' house that day, and I think you could say he moved into his heart. Because you see, it changes his heart, but it also changes his behavior. He begins to make new decisions. We see the change of heart and the change of behavior when he encounters Jesus as the Christ. You hear it in verse 8 when Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. It's a dramatic turn from one who's collecting and keeping and hoarding things to one who's ready to give them away to disperse his goods and his wealth for another's good. Jesus will move in if we open the door. That's what happened that day. Zacchaeus opens the door and Jesus moves in to his heart. I was reminded of the way John writes about that in the book of Revelation in the third chapter this is how he talks about it. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. 
if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. I will come in. We will be together. We will be one. This move to the giving side connects us with God in a fresh and new and profound way. Zacchaeus opens the door just a little bit to his house, and Jesus comes also into his heart. And it changes his life, and it changes his lifestyle. And the most prominent aspect of that is he has become a giver. Does your encounter with Jesus impact your giving? Can you believe that there's a richer lifestyle than consumerism and collecting? Have you heard the story about the two guys who were shipwrecked? Oh, it was a terrible storm. This boat broke up. They're almost dead, and then there's an island, and they're able to get onto the island. And one guy is just frantic. He's going, oh, no, this is terrible. We're going to die. There's no food. There's no water. There's no help in sight. We're going to die. Another fellow has climbed up under the palm tree, and he's just kind of sitting there with his arms crossed in the shade like no big deal. And the first fellow crawls over and says, don't you understand no food, no water, no one knows where we are, no help in sight, we're going to die. And the guy says, wait, I make $100,000 a year. And the guy said, it doesn't matter here, you don't understand, slow, horrible death. And the guy says, no, you don't understand, please listen. I make $100,000 a week. I tithe. My pastor will find me. <laughs> this could be a true story. <laughs> uh, Bishop Sharon Brown Christopher tells another story of a time when she encountered a church who began to get in touch with this need to give. They noticed the neighborhood around their church had changed quite a lot. They had opportunity to serve in some new and fresh ways. They did a particularly good job of sort of surveying the neighborhood, figuring out what the changes were, designing ministries where they might develop better relationships with those around them. They did so well that sure enough, some materially poor people began to join their church. One woman, the first one that had come forward that really was a part of this, became very active in their church. And then one day they got a transfer letter that she had joined another church. They couldn't believe it. One of them called her and said, what has happened? We're noticing you're gone. You're such a vital part of this place. And she said, well, it's like this. At your church... You met my needs. At my new church, they put me to work using my gifts. She wanted to be a giver. She went to a place that enabled her and empowered her to use her gifts, that invited her to share her gifts for the common good, and that was an important step for her in her life. Luke has Jesus at the end of this story say today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. 
Jesus is saying, I've come to seek and save the lost, and here it is. I've found one, and I've saved him. Zacchaeus is part of us now. I've brought Zacchaeus back into the fellowship of the people of God. I have fulfilled my mission when I saw Zacchaeus and moved into his life and into his heart, and he's responded like this. This is what it's all about. Why is it important that we give? It connects us to God. It makes us a part of the mission of Christ. It changes us as people and as Christians when we become generous givers. When we join the mission of Christ, it changes us. We begin to recognize opportunities to give that we would not see before. We begin to realize we are here to seek and save the lost, to give to others, to serve others, to help others. We want to be givers. At our best, we are generous givers. But we live in a culture that pushes us the other way. And so, so many of us are a battleground. So many of us struggle. Most of us are not ready to go with Zacchaeus and say, I'm getting ready to give 50% of all I have to the poor. Oh, some of us are struggling to get to 10. But wherever you are in that, the important step is, are you listening to God's leading in your life? Are you ready to follow? Are you ready to take a step? Everybody can take a step up. Now is the time. Today is the day. If we all grow in our faith, we'll be able to exclaim, as Jesus did at the end of the story, today salvation has come to this house. Amen. And thanks be to God.